health and fitness with David Hollywood in association with The Hearing Consultancy. TheHearingConsultancy.ie Live in studio on a Friday night. It is Health and Fitness with David Hollywood this evening. How are you keeping? 083 103. Get in touch. If you ever want to get the show on podcast, midlands103.com. Let's have a look at what we're looking at this evening. A lot of what's on tonight is about looking after yourself. You're going to hear about sexually transmitted infections and their rise in Ireland. Is it because we're having more sex? Are we practicing a lot more unprotected sex? You'll find out the truth behind the numbers this evening. What about your dental health? Gum disease may lead to heart disease and many other serious negative health outcomes. I'm going to talk to an expert in the field. And you'll hear all about mothers and others football in the Midlands and it is something different and it's going to keep you active and if you're looking to re-engage with your physicality it might just be the right kind of blend of socialising and exercise that you're looking for. Right now though we're talking about your children and specifically anxiety. I'm very glad to say joining us this Friday evening is uh, Offaly's Sinead Flanagan author of Wisdom's Wishes How to Turn Anxiety into a Gift that will connect your family and um a gift, I suppose, isn't necessarily what a lot of people perceive it as. Um, Sinead, it's a, a concept we're all uh, familiar with, I suppose. Um, it's becoming more to the front of our language in recent years. Uh, children experience anxiety as well as adults. Why does it happen to us? Hey, David. Thank you for having me on. David, it's natural. It happens to all of us because uh, it motivates us. It keeps us alert and it keeps us focused. And motivated, as I said, anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing. Anxiety is a bad thing when it is overpowering. Okay. Um, and when it's overpowering, it can then limit what we can do with our lives. And it's there's plenty of, I suppose, coverage of, of what those limitations uh, are. Just, I suppose, sum up for us in your, in, in your experience in life, uh, from what you've seen and what you've written about, um, just how deep can, can anxiety go when it turns into a negative? I think it's, it's really challenging to, to see it. What happens is it holds a person. So anxiety by its nature is it holds a person in the belief system that, you know, it's in the future or the past. It, it steals their awareness of the moment. And therefore, it steals their ability to make empowered choices for themselves. And that's where the crux of it is for me. When somebody is disempowered, they're victimized. Mm. You know, and then, you know, that's, that's not a good place for any of us to be. You never want your child to be in that space. And it's, it becomes a habit almost, you know, because they don't have the language or the knowledge to express what's actually going on for them. You know, and we don't. I'm really passionate that people have an understanding that, you know, anxiety, mental health, it's not just our brain. It's our brain body connection. Okay. And when, you know, and when we can gift them with the knowledge and language so that they can share it in a way that doesn't, you know, it takes depersonalizes it. So there's nothing wrong with me because I'm anxious. It's a thought process. It's a feeling and when I'm aware of it and I have the language and the knowledge so I can share it, then I can make a choice what to do. What do I need in this moment? OK, we've got a lot that we can, 
hone in on there that you said. And one of the things I want to uh, touch on uh, shortly is the connection uh, or sometimes the disconnection between the mind and the body when it comes to anxiety. But first, I suppose, to start our conversation, I wanted to talk to you about like this apparent I, I, I say apparent because, again, it's it's mm-hmm. accounts of psychologists and counsellors that I've read saying that children, in particular teens, they're saying with conviction that they have anxiety, as in it is a far more referenced expression uh, or, or issue at the mm-hmm. moment. Is that a trend that you recognise? Is that down to heightened awareness of the issue among younger people or has modern life led us to a lot more anxiety, particularly amongst our young people? I think it's all of the above. So there is a heightened awareness. Absolutely, the language is more out there. But also, anxiety is a catch-all term that's very safe for a child or a teenager to use. Okay. And I think it's more the teenagers that would be, have the awareness to use it. But it's, you know, it's quite easy to say, oh, I'm anxious. It's much more challenging for somebody to take ownership of their emotion or what they're feeling and share that. Because yeah. for them, that can feel like a big, dark, I'm going to jump off a cliff here and where am I going to land? Because they don't have the knowledge and they don't have the language to really dig into on a deeper level. What is it that's going on for me? So the root of it might be a plethora of things. It might be a lack of confidence. It might be a lack of self-worth. It may be a little trauma that happened that they, you know, and trauma is not something that happens to us. It's our response to something that happens to us. You know, so something simple might happen, but it starts off that narrative for a child of, well, I'm not good enough. And if I'm not good enough, then I don't value myself. And if I don't value myself, then I don't align myself into a place where I can stand up for myself because I don't have that worth yeah. in myself to begin with. How how do you go about relating to children who are going through anxiety-related issues? Like if, if, if my child was... Uh, displaying a tendency to become very anxious uh, in a disproportionate way. Uh, What are the steps and techniques that a parent can take, for instance, uh, beyond seeking, as is always recommended, um, professional expert advice when it comes to counselling? Yeah, my my starting point for every child that I ever worked with is start with sleep because it's the foundation of our wellness, whether we're adults, teenagers or children. If we're not getting a good night's sleep, we don't function properly, you know, and there's no negating that. We don't function properly unless we're getting good sleep. Okay. So, and I personally, you know, wouldn't be taking my child for to my GP or anything else unless they were getting good sleep, you know. So start. That's a really simple step that any parent can start with to empower their child. Yeah, and there's lots you can do. You know, a good night's sleep starts when you get up in the morning, which is a really funny thing to say, but it does. So, you know, if you're going to sit down on the TV all day, you're not going to sleep very well because we need movement and we need fresh air and we need good food. The same as if you're going to drink the Coke and have the chocolate and sit on the Xbox up until the time you get into bed, that's going to have a negative impact on your sleep. But, you know, don't underestimate the little choices that we can make for ourselves that will really impact and um, increase our wellness. Little things, it's the little choices we make throughout the day. Have your chocolate, but have it before six o'clock. Play your PlayStation, but stop half an hour before bedtime and go out and get a little bit of fresh air or just sit at the kitchen table and have a chat with mum and dad and let the brain settle before you get into the bed and try and switch off really quickly. You know, you can't go from really active 
to, you know, restful mm. sleep if if you don't give it a little bit of an investment in time and effort. So much of what you're saying seems to be about balance, about that none of the mm-hmm. things that you've mentioned, be it uh, diet, um, sleeping, uh, PlayStation, entertainment, whatever it is, uh, none of those things that are characterised as bad things necessarily lead to uh, someone being in an anxious state. It's just about finding the balance and the space to to enjoy those things uh, mixed mm-hmm. in with what we need as, uh, in terms of a human body then. Yeah, absolutely. But to do those things, we're all spicy. You know, what's wellness for you and what brings you to wellness is not going to be potentially what brings me to wellness. So to get to the root of that, we need to be aware. And to be aware, we need to be really connected and have, and to be connected, I think we need an understanding of how the brain and the body work in tandem. So I think for me, it always amazes me whether it's in workshops in schools or working with families, they're amazed that anxiety can have such a negative impact on their physicality. Okay, yeah. You know, that they think, oh, there's something wrong with me. And then when you say, well, actually, if you sit in that belief system, that thought process, it can really, really can make you have digestive problems. It can make your heart race. It, it can, even though you're at home in a safe environment, it can make you feel like the world is coming in on top of you. And there's nothing wrong with you. There's ju- it's, anx- it's anxiety and there's things that you can do to support yourself. You can use your own body to support yourself. OK, and we're going to explore that now in two seconds. You're listening to Health and Fitness mm-hmm. with David Hollywood this Friday evening. And remember, if you are affected by anything we're discussing this evening, uh, there are resources out there that you can get help from. Uh, one would just give you this evening is the HSE, your mental health line, uh, free phone 1800-111-888. That is the HSE's uh, m- mental health uh, free phone line of 1800 I'm talking to Offaly Sinead Flanagan, author of Wisdom's Wishes, How to Turn Anxiety into a Gift that Will Connect Your Family. We're talking at the moment about the body and the mind, how an anxious mind can lead to complaints in the body. Therefore, Sinead, I suppose taking care of your body can help relieve anxiety in the mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think for me, when you give children, parents, the family unit, the tools, the simple little steps that they can do to raise their awareness of themselves and that understanding of, well, how am I feeling and what do I choose? Okay. What feels good for me right now? How do I want to feel in this moment? And what do I have to do to get me there? And if, if that's very difficult for me, so if those anxious, persistent thoughts are very, very challenging for me as a human to release, then maybe I need external help. Maybe I need support right now. But again, they're making that choice. They're not going looking for a solution, going, I need somebody to fix this. They're going asking for a targeted, this is the challenge I have. Can you provide me with that solution? And that shift is very powerful and not to be underestimated, in my opinion. So communication in the home is the first step, you would say, if your child is displaying a form of anxiety. It's about finding the language for them. Yeah, and the shared language. So you know, the parenting partners and the children are having the shared language and the shared knowledge. So they really are on the same page because a lot can get lost in translation. 
Okay, Sinead Flanagan, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us this evening. I know there's so much more we could talk about on this issue, yeah. uh, but you've <laughs> been of great help as it stands. Thanks again, Sinead Flanagan. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me on. You're listening to Health and Fitness. I'm David Hollywood. Next, we're going to be talking about your oral hygiene. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with The Hearing Consultancy. Experiencing hearing difficulties? Book your free hearing test at one of our clinics in Kinnegad, Mullingar or Tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus health and more. Thehearingconsultancy.ie This is Health, Health and, and Fitness, Fitness with, with David, David Hollywood. Hollywood. You're very welcome to the show. For joining us just now this Friday evening. Experiencing hearing difficulties? Book your free hearing test your at one of our clinics in Kinnegad, Mullingar or Tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus health and more. Thehearingconsultancy.ie Gum disease can follow and without paying attention to this issue to yourself personally, it's something that can have knock-on effects to uh, the rest of your general health or at least uh, research as time goes on is showing that that is uh, more and more the case. Uh, Dr. Ori Torsney is the Principal Dentist um, and Implant Surgeon at Central Park Dental in Mullingar. He is the very man who's joining us to talk about this issue. Uh, Dr. Ori Torsney, thank you very much for taking uh, the call this evening. I suppose my first question is, is what I've said Correct. Is that true? Uh, if if you end up with gum disease or, or particular issues with your uh, gums, that it can have knock on effects for the uh, for your health beyond your mouth. Uh, hi, David. Thanks very much for, for asking me to be on the show. Um, yes, there's uh, look, there's a, a prevalence of, of gum disease in the general population. I mean, it varies anywhere between 70 to 90 percent of the population of some form of, of gum disease. So mm. um, the treatment of it and the leading to systemic problems, as you mentioned, um, has, has been a topic that's been explored for, for many years. I remember back in dental school even. Um, so that there is a, a distinct link between uncontrolled gum disease and untreated gum disease with other um, illnesses in the body. Okay, so in terms of those other illnesses, I think there's a lot of conjecture. There's also a lot of concern and worry developing about uh, what it can lead to. Um, but in a lot of respects, maybe the picture is incomplete when we're talking about these systemic issues that you can have. Um, you might mention some of them and then we can pick up on a couple of interest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really key point. Um, you know, if you look at the prevalence of the set of gum disease, it's very prevalent within the population. Gum disease itself is an umbrella term um, and it encompasses quite quite many different sort of severities, different fat and, and different elements of gum disease. So although it's linked with other illnesses, um, not everyone with gum disease is going to end up with a systemic illness like we're going to mention. Okay. Um, the most kind of research topics would be the link between gum disease and diabetes. Mm. Um, gum disease, cardiovascular disease are, are, are two that there's been quite an association with. More recently, um, there's a link between gum disease and minor cognitive defects or Alzheimer's disease or dementia. And there have been kind of topics recently kind of published in different different areas um, that were, were, were sort of seen as a link between, but not an absolute link, which I think is, is the key. 
key part. The, the mechanism of, of these sort of things and, and how it prevails is generally you're looking at uh, inflammatory markers in the in the bloodstream, um, and prevalence uh, inflammatory markers are prevalent in the blood with patients with gum disease particularly severe gum disease or untreated gum disease. Okay, and inflammatory markers in the blood um, means that there's just uh, evidence of the blood carrying a certain level of inflammation. Uh, Can you talk us through just what that basic term means? Yes, so your blood itself will make um, antibodies or um, white blood cells or or, uh, defence mechanisms against some form of insult. In the case of gum disease, it's bacteria. Like you mentioned, the mouth is a great host for bacteria. It has kind of everything it needs for it to thrive. So the prevalence of, of these um, bacteria get a response from your body, which is your immune system. And as a result, you produce cells to combat the bacteria that's, that's present. Okay. And these markers in the blood are what we talk about when we say inflammatory markers in the blood. Okay, and let's take one of the men, uh, the issues you mentioned there, which is cardiovascular disease, which is uh, not an uncommon issue in this country. Uh, there was a report published a few years ago from a team of experts that concluded there's a significant leak between, uh, link between uh, periodontitis and heart attack, stroke and plaque building up in the arteries. They're not uh, determining exactly how poor oral health uh, could lead to worse heart health there's a suggestion that there is a link uh, between the two? You're correct, absolutely. Um, there is a link between the two. Um, but the link becomes quite... quite. Uh, when you say periodontis, again, we talk about gum disease being an umbrella term. And periodont- periodontal disease or periodontitis is part of that term, or it's under that term. So with cardiovascular disease, again, as you said, a very common... Um, unfortunately, a very common disease and prevalent in this country. Um mm the link between the two, we can bring it back to the inflammatory markers we discussed within the blood, but there's also another link, which would be what we discussed, an epidemiological link. And what we mean by that term is, you know, common factors that cause disease are generally present. So most common causes of gum disease in this country would be not attending regular dentists or poor oral hygiene habits, smoking, or we're seeing even in younger patients, these is vaping. Um, poor diet leads to cavities which trap plaque which as a knock-on effect cause more prevalent gum disease these are also risk factors to develop cardiovascular disease as well Smoking so, and poor diet are, are well known um, issues when it comes to cardiovascular problems so it is hard to sort of sort through these causes and symptoms and land on a certain position then Correct. You're talking, I suppose, um, this is what we'd, we'd call in medicine or dentistry modified risk factors. Um, so factors that increase your likelihood of having one of these these issues. So with periodontal disease or gum disease, they have the same risk factors in many respects as cardiovascular disease. So you can link it back that association may not be causation, meaning that periodontal disease may not be causing cardiovascular disease, but they are associated with each other due to the fact that you have the same risks associated with developing either illness or disease. 
And with these issues and these sort of slight conflicts in evidence where you can't quite nail down um, where one starts and the other begins uh, with symptoms that lead to multiple issues through the, the body's system, are we getting closer through research to understanding these things better or are they by definition kind of amorphous and, and they'll always be hard to get a grasp of? Well, the very nature of getting a grasp on this and the studies that, that's involved to get the, I suppose, concrete um, evidence is very, very difficult to conduct. Um, but what you will see is, is when you're talking about the link between periodontal or gum disease and cardiovascular disease or diabetes and other illness we discussed, treating periodontal disease has a very positive effect on the other illnesses. So if you have good oral health and good oral hygiene in a diabetic patient, you have, you tend to, what you will see is you will see better glycemic or glucose control. So there's a huge association between the two. So although we're not necessarily saying one is causing the other, the treatment of periodontal disease and the importance of treating gum disease is showing a huge benefit to the other illnesses of, and, and the, and the is essentially the, negative effects of the other illnesses has been reduced based on having better oral health. Whether that's a case of you're deciding to put down on other risk factors, in case of smoking, um, something like that, when you're treating your periodontal disease, you're still seeing a very positive um, synthesis between the two that you're, you're getting better control over both illnesses. It's a massively complicated uh, part of the world This where this research is, is, is happening uh, and, and um, there's there's so much to be gained from it by the sounds of it uh, but there's obviously so many layers and complications and dynamics in it I think it's it's good to be able to cut through that and and underline some of the basic principles that people at home uh, this evening can uh, that are listening can can take home with them um, and yeah. the, the idea of taking control of your your oral health um, is 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 a simple one and I suppose the one that we should land on emphasizing this evening yes and I think that the key point as you mentioned is um, if you are told, if you if you attend your dentist and, you, and there's a discussion about having some form of gum disease, whether it be mild or severe, it doesn't necessarily mean something else will develop systemically. Um, they can mm-hmm. be completely independent of each other. Uh, there are some um, papers and literature and things you read online that I think sometimes will worry you that you you know all of a sudden if you're told you have gum disease, you're going to get a whole host of other things. That is not the case. When we when we look at these, as I said, the prevalence of gum diseases is so so prevalent, um, generally in the milder side of things. Whereas the prevalence of these other illnesses is much less. So it, there's no correlation to say that you will definitely develop a further illness if you're told you have gum disease. Uh, but treating the gum disease not only is is beneficial for your general health, but for maintaining your teeth. So you don't need things like tooth loss or sensitive teeth or, and all these sort of things as well. Principal dentist and implant, sur- implant surgeon uh, at Central Park Dental in Mullingar, Ori Torsney. I really appreciate you taking our call this evening on health and fitness. Uh, thanks again. Not at all. Thank you very much, David. Thanks. Yeah, we're looking to help you take care of yourself this evening. We, we touched on anxiety, particularly in children earlier. Uh, we've just talked about your oral hygiene. Next up, it's a tricky topic for some. It is your sexual health. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods in association with The Hearing Consultancy. Passionate about hearing and hearing health, we use the latest technologies to identify and analyse hearing issues and provide their solutions. 
Book a free test on thehearingconsultancy.ie. You're very welcome back to Health and Fitness this Friday evening. We are looking at an interesting issue. Uh, Sexually transmitted infection notifications have increased by more than 20% generally across the board when compared to pre-pandemic levels. Now, instantly, I think many people would jump to the conclusion that uh, people are practicing a lot less safe sex or they're having a lot more sex. But there may be more to uh, the numbers in that respect. Uh, I'm very glad uh, to say joining me now is Laura Tully. She's the Student Sexual Health Service uh, Manager at TUS Midlands. Uh, Laura, thanks for taking the time to talk to us on health and fitness. The headline numbers are concerning about the number of STI notifications in Ireland. Um, Is it something we should be worried about? Yeah, look, I suppose as with any aspect of your health and fitness, this is an area you shouldn't ignore. Um, The headlines look pretty stark because they're taken in the context of comparing them um, to pre-pandemic levels and Mm. during the pandemic. But yeah, look, trends are increasing. So what we saw back in 2019 was that sexually transmitted infections, trends were increasing. And then unfortunately during COVID, um, the services were the first to close down because staff were redeployed due to their skills in contact tracing and um, infection control to all the other areas. So a lot of services closed, testing wasn't happening. And then don't forget that people were uh, apart. So um, obviously now we're returning to seeing those pre-pandemic trends. And yes, there is an increase when compared to 2019. But there are a lot of factors at play. And I think um, behind the headlines, as you rightly point out, we need to just examine what might be happening. So um, I suppose a couple of things are happening. We have a return to normal socialising. So um, obviously people are back um, meeting, hooking up. Um, There is a hookup culture. So people do tend nowadays to have more sexual partners, more contacts. Do you think um, the pandemic before, kind of drove that into overdrive for want of a better expression like that whilst we had a hookup culture in inverted commas um, generally with, with dating apps and that type of thing the lack of contact and the lockdowns uh, created a, an unusual rise in, in contact afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. And evidence um, does point to that because people developed new ways of um keep in contact with people. So mm. there was a rise in online dating, dating apps, and um, certainly I think as well, people did feel, you know, that they had the right to go out and enjoy their lives. They had been cooped up for a long time. But what's happening with that trend is unfortunately um, decreasing condom use. So that's the concern for us as health professionals because okay. that's, you know, obviously um, contributing to the rise in STIs. But another big factor to look at in the context of these figures is that we now have a new way of testing in Ireland. There's a new service called SH24, where people can avail of home testing. And in in last year alone, they sent out over 90,000 tests um, around the country. So obviously, if you're testing more, you're going to detect more infections. Sexually transmitted infections, by their nature, tend to be silent diseases. A lot of the times, there are no symptoms. So if you're testing more, you're probably going to pick up more. So that's certainly one um, factor to think about. And I know that in last year's statistics there, 
a third of the chlamydia notifications and a quarter of gonorrhea um, notifications were detected using those home test kits. And those home test kits are available free of charge to everyone in the country. You just click the button online, you can have it discreetly delivered to home. So I suppose you're reaching a new cohort of people mm. um, very convenient at home and maybe it takes the you know, um, barrier or their fear or the embarrassment out of having to physically go to a clinic. So they're the kind of factors, I suppose, that I think are contributing to that, the rise in the, the notification. I think the point you make about self-testing is really interesting. Again, are we talking about something that uh, is a development of the post-pandemic world? Because it just occurred to me, we, we, we spent a long time swabbing ourselves uh, for uh, COVID tests and so on. Uh, the step or the leap to testing yourself for an STI at home then seems a lot smaller than going from zero to doing that. Yeah, you're right, David. I suppose it's normalised, isn't it? You know, a little bit more self-care and, you know, taking the fear out of taking an actual test. It's a good thing, isn't I it? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, certainly in the patients I meet in my everyday practice, um, I barely have to explain the procedures to take wow. a, a pharyngeal swab, a throat swab now, because people go, oh, it's just like a COVID test. And I think that's a key in, you know, taking stigma out of these tests and it's just normalising it as part of your general health and fitness and well-being. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think we'll probably see a lot more of that as healthcare moves forward now um, into the future. OK, um, you mentioned gonorrhea and chlamydia, for instance. I think the statistics from pre-pandemic to 2022 end of was gonorrhea results were up 45%, chlamydia up by a fifth. Um, is there anything else um, giving uh, people in your line of work um, concern about like specific infections or specific issues that have risen? Yeah, I suppose the demand on our services right across the country is an area for concern. Um, you know, we've seen, when I looked at the statistics for, you know, this week compared to this time last year, um, there's been a rise in chlamydia of, of nearly 60% and gonorrhea is up 183%. Um, herpes is still there in the top three, mm. um, you know, and we've um, a rise of over 50% in HIV notifications. There's a syphilis outbreak as well at the moment. So we're all the time concerned. I suppose we feel quite under-resourced in some areas. But um, I think, you know, again, to look at these in context, you know, an infection like chlamydia and gonorrhea, they're bacterial infections. It's an infection in another part of your body. Mm. If we can detect it, we, we can treat and cure this. So coming forward, getting tested, getting treated, um, you know, you might need a follow-up test to make sure um, the infection is gone. That's all the steps that are involved. So, you know, really for us, it's it's ac- people accessing our services, following the r- right advice, getting the right treatment and follow-up. And I just want to come back to the statistic about HIV because a lot of people still um, don't understand HIV. And when you see a statistic like a rise of almost 60% in HIV notifications, it's important to have the true facts about that. So HIV notifications in Ireland at the moment, they represent the first time a person has a positive result in Ireland. So people who have come to live, work or study um, here in Ireland are included in these statistics. So if you think about our population change in the last um, year alone, People who have already had a diagnosis in another country, maybe on active treatment, they would be included in those statistics. So those statistics need to be examined in that context. And I think that's important for people to know because the headlines never explain that. And, you know, there's still a real fear and stigma around HIV. 
But what I can tell people listening is that we have come so far. You know, I'm 25 years nursing and the changes and the radical improvements now mean that we have effective HIV treatment. And when a person is diagnosed with HIV now, you're put immediately on effective treatment, which makes your viral load undetectable. And when your viral load is undetectable, you cannot transmit HIV. So it's called U equals U, undetectable is untransmittable, which means you cannot pass HIV on to partners. So when you see those HIV statistics and you hear about it, take it in that context. And, you know, again, we're going back to the message about detection, treatment, effective follow-up and, you know, moving forward then in, in good health. And people are living with HIV now into long age. And I think, you know, as time goes on, we are dispelling those myths. We are, you know, breaking down the stigma around it. Access is one aspect of uh, providing uh, good sexual health services in this country. What about the steps that we can take as individuals then as we finish our conversation, Laura? Um, what can we do to be practicing uh, good sexual health uh, personally um, in, in our own lives in whatever way that tends to manifest? The key message really is consistent condom use, particularly when changing partners. That's absolutely key to prevention of sexually transmitted infections. And so too then is availing of testing, follow-up um, treatment, you know, um, if you've had an unprotected sexual exposure, uh, get yourself tested. You can order a test kit online. You can go to one of the clinics here in the Midlands. The, the clinics are located at Mullingar, Port Leash. Obviously, if you're a student at TUS, you can come to me on the same day as you have a symptom. It's very good access that if you have multiple overlapping partners or indeed if your partner has an STI. So, you know, use condoms for vaginal, oral, anal sex. And then also, um, I suppose, be aware of, you know, issues around um, symptoms which may not strike you as being an STI, things like viral symptoms, things like bowel issues. Um, but predominantly, if you're a man, you have some discharge from the top of your penis, you have pain passing urine, pain or swelling in your testicles, go get it checked. If you're a woman and you have any abnormal bleeding between periods, after sex, change of vaginal discharge or pain passing urine, go get it checked out. And the reassurance or the result, you know, take the steps from there and, uh, you know, you'll feel a lot more a bit better about it going forward. And, um, you know, great website to recommend to people listening if they want to just check out any aspect is sexualwellbeing.ie reliable information and um, practical information there for anyone who needs it. Laura Tully is the Student Sexual Health Service Manager at TOS Midlands and she's brought to us an absolute tour de force there of information really helpful and reassuring um discourse as well so a big thanks to her for her time next if you're looking to re-engage with your body and being active then we might have just the thing for you this is a different kind of an idea it could be another interesting club for you to join we're talking about mothers and others and football in the midlands next health and fitness with david hollywoods in association with the hearing consultancy Passionate about hearing and hearing health, we use the latest technologies to identify and analyse hearing issues and provide their solutions. Book a free test on thehearingconsultancy.ie.
Because of my limited capacity as a human being, I was struggling to understand what mothers and others meant and what it was. So I asked our reporter, Chloe Farrell, to seek out the answers. She found for us on Health and Fitness, Pauline Flanagan, the joint PRO of Portleash Mothers and Others on playing football. Let's find out about this. Mothers and Others is essentially uh, a relatively new uh, kind of sporting initiative set up within, like for us, obviously with Portleash GAA, whereby there's an encouragement on mothers and those who are not mothers. So basically all women aged 24 to 104, if they want, to actually come out and just play football. I know you're encouraging women of any age to come and join, but what does mothers and others encourage kind of as a whole? Oh my goodness, I, I think it encompasses a fine. We have the physical fitness aspect of it. And there's many times, Chloe, I've been running around the field going, oh my goodness, this is just great for even losing a few pounds. But honestly, I do firmly believe the fact that women are always juggling so many things in the air. And if we're not cooking dinners, we're out at meetings and we're doing our jobs or we're driving our own children to matches or whatever it is. But we all invariably have very busy lives. And we have this hour where we run around the field like lunatics and we have this great fun. And it's as much the social aspect for all of us as much as anything else. And having a chat and catching in with people and just how they're getting on, you know, it's just a lovely, lovely initiative, in my opinion. Can you tell me a bit about your own involvement with it? Yeah, um, it's interesting because um, we just had our first meet and greet last Tuesday night and I was saying a few words of it and I was going, I was hoping that this year I may not continue to be the oldest because it's about five years ago, I think, and I'm 55 now, nearly 56, and I'm the oldest in the committee. But like we've met many other mothers and other teams from other areas around the Midlands and further afield. And I've seen 60, 70 year old women playing. So I, I do think that that's a very important message. That it's not just about football. But I remember anyway, after I'd done a lot of study as well as work and I finished it and I thought I could do with something now for my own self. I just saw mothers and others putting up a post looking for people to join and I went, I'm going to do that. And I haven't looked back since. I mean, it's the fun for me. Now, to be honest, I never ever played sports growing up. A bit of tennis in our place, but I didn't um, really do football or camogie or anything like that. So I was really coming at it. I remember the first night and our trainers and I thought we'd be getting a PowerPoint presentation explaining to me how to do solo, what a pass should look like and where forwards go and where midfield. And I laugh when I think back at the naivety of it because obviously we were straight out onto the pitch with the training gear. And, you know, there's something about even with our kids, like when I arrived and just sitting with the boots open in the car and putting on your football boots, you know, and I've, I've got my sons that are now gone too old for him and too small for him, but I wear my son's Neymar boots and I'm there going, I'm just, the coolest mother going, even though I'm not. But it's just such great fun. It's great feeling even putting on the football boots and after you go out to the pitch. And I mean, I'm at it now for five years and I still can't solo. I still can't play football, but I'm not giving it up because I have the best of fun with all the women when we meet. Just you mentioned earlier about worrying with your age that you'd be the oldest on the team. Do you think it's something that anyone really takes into consideration on the team, the different ages? No, and if anything, I think it adds to it. I remember we were carpooling to some uh, mothers and others last one uh, day and we were having the crack in the car and one of the girls said to me, do you know my mother is way older than you and I wish she would do this as well. 
And they said, like, the crack that we have, if only could, I'm always trying to tell her. And I think that's what's important, that we've loads of different types of personalities and also loads of people. We haven't a clue what people do. And I, I think that's very important to a certain degree because it's irrelevant. It's about just getting out there and having the fun. Now, I have to say, though, I'm not going to tell a lie and tell you that, yes, we play masters, but we do tend to, we have a great social secretary in um in Aoife, Aoife O'Connor, and like we have a few nights out as well, maybe after a match we might head to the pub for a few pints, or we might just organise a separate night out if there was a gig playing in Portland Town or something like that. Or if we have an away match, we'll often be, um, uh, or, or a team comes to us, we'll make sure and make a few sandwiches and a cup of tea afterwards. So you just mentioned about the different nights out and different social aspects to mothers and others and what benefits does it have to a woman physically and socially then? Yeah I mean well, physically I do think it's great anyway we all know that any physical health that we do is it's just great for us but you know what the social aspect is is it's my mind as important because um a lot of the mothers as far as I can see and others that are members of uh, Port ECA mothers and others they're they're you know they're they're actually uh, looking for, not looking for, but they just enjoy it. I don't think anybody else. And uh, and I, I love the acceptance of, it doesn't matter whether you drink or you don't drink. It doesn't matter whether you're shy or you're outgoing. But we all welcome each other. It doesn't matter where we're from or what we do. And I, I just think that inclusivity, we need to see more of that in life. And it's, uh, it means there's a gel. Now, obviously, there's, uh, some players that are brilliant and better than others, but that doesn't matter when we're all out for an evening out or we might have a bus that heads off to an away match and we just have great fun on the way and on the way back singing and, you know what I mean, the usual the usual fun that we watch nearly our children do and we're doing the same now and isn't it great? <laughs> it sounds to be a really positive kind of atmosphere and experience. I'm just wondering, how would it differ then to competitive football? Yeah, we would have quite a number of players that would have played like for county. And obviously, you see, we can't pick anyone therefore from the age of 24 or under, but that previously played. Now, to be quite honest, we're sometimes delighted because I could be marking someone and I'm in the back doing a very bad job, letting a lot of goals in, I'm afraid. And then I see the likes of Aoife who's a former player and a county player and just zooming past me with the ball and I go, thank God for the brilliant players as well. And having said that, you know what, it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter, but, but it is great to have a mixture. We have some amazing players and some then that were no good. And even though I'm saying I'm useless and I genuinely am, but I must have got a bit better over the past five years that I'm able to understand the mechanics of it or the importance of just staying on my opposition and making sure to mark them tight. You know, all of that, I, I get great crack out of even just doing a little bit. And my goodness, if I stop a goal or if I manage to run up the pitch even with the ball and score a point, I'm just over the moon. It doesn't happen that often now. But the, you just have those different elements. I remember my first match being so afraid, thinking, oh my God, I can't do this. I've never played a match in my life. But then going, Pauline, stop. This is about fun and it's about nothing else and it doesn't matter how bad we are. It's just about the fun element. And I think once we get over that and remind ourselves all the time, it's not about the competitive nature of it. It's about the fun. But having said that, we do love our matches. 
So we'd make a shout out to any other mothers and other teens around the Midlands to send us a message on our Facebook page, the Port Phoenix for Mothers and Others. Send us a message. We'd be delighted to have a mass with teens around the Midlands. Why do you think someone should join their local Mothers and Others team? It's some. It's a release, I think, for us to just get out one or two nights a week. And that's the other thing as well. We have some uh, mothers and others that wouldn't be able to maybe make it. They might have um, something else on or they might be busy with their own children for a few weeks. But there's no kind of, oh, we haven't seen your training in a while. Oh, no, that's not good enough. It doesn't matter. Even if someone can come out once a week, twice a week, great, or think about once a month. It's just whatever suits. And that's so important, that message, to make sure that people don't feel they can overcommit themselves. Because we do that too much to ourselves. Anyway, I think women do in life. So this is just one of those things that should be just for enjoyment. And, you know, and I have to say, if I could mention our great committee and all the people involved, like we've Eve Falconer, who's the secretary, Andrea McDonald, who's our chair, Idel McCarthy, our treasurer, and Lara Brennan, who's the PRO with myself, and then Katrina Brown looks after the jerseys, and Tracy Houlihan, Joanne Joyce, who looks after, uh, they look after the pictures. If anyone is interested in joining the Port Leash Mothers and Others team, what should they do? They can absolutely, just new members are always welcome. Uh, we train, uh, and that's a very strong word now, Chloe, we train, and we just go up and have a bit of crack on Tuesdays and Thursday nights at half seven in, in Rat League in, um, in Port Leash. But they could also find us on Facebook. We're very easy to come around and pop us a message and we'd be happy to come back to them with more details. If I could say as well, we're looking for a coach. No previous experience necessary. We're kind of muddling away ourselves at the moment. But there must be some man, woman or beast in and around Port Leach who would like to train the mothers and others team we'd be delighted if someone would give us a dig out just a shout out to anyone involved at Port Leach GA or further afield it would be great <laughs> uh, To any man, woman or beast listening this evening the um, Port Leash Gaelic mothers and others are looking for a manager how good was that a big thanks to Chloe Farrell and of course Pauline Flanagan uh, for that uh, discussion more inclusive more inclusivity in life is what she said and I couldn't agree more that's our lot on health and fitness we're off to the Midlands 103 newsroom and then Joe Cooney is next with Country Roads Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with the Hearing Consultancy Experiencing hearing difficulties? Book your free hearing test at one of our clinics in Kinnegad, Mullingar or Tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus health and more. Thehearingconsultancy.ie